Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and I'm super excited to share this interview with you today. I'm chatting with Ellie May Waters, who runs a fashion brand called Ellie May, and her story is a pretty unique one. I've not really had anyone quite in her position on the show before, but she shares all about her fashion brand, Ellie May, how she got it started, how she grew to a team of 12 in just three years. She's only 31 and she has been crushing it for the past three years. And here's the really cool thing about her brand. It won't spoil all the surprises, but she is a direct-to-consumer brand that makes everything in-house. So she has sewers and pattern makers and cutters and people who trim and pack and ship the, the products out to you if you happen to buy one of her pieces it is hand packed and she also does really really limited production of maybe just eight pieces or 30 pieces because she fully believes in building a sustainable brand that doesn't have a lot of waste so they make what they believe they can sell and if it sells through then they can make more but they're very very mindful of being a sustainable brand they also do really fun things with the scraps of the fabric so there's as little wastage as possible and she tells us all about this in an interview so I won't spoil anything else for you but I know you're going to love this interview and there's so many great stories in here she has about the trials and tribulations and the failures and successes of her brand over the years we get pretty nitty-gritty into the details so you're going to love it as always thank you so much for listening before we hop into the interview, I want to tell you two ways you can hear more about what's going on with Successful Fashion Designer because we are more than just a podcast. So the two places that we hang out and talk, um, I say we, it's me. I do have a couple people behind the scenes that help, but it's mostly me that, that you see online and in your inbox is on Instagram and like I just said, in your inbox. So there's so much more going on with successful fashion designer, tons of tutorials on Illustrator, tech packs, things on getting your first or next freelancing client, landing your dream job, and so much more. So if you want to hear about all that stuff, go over to Instagram and give us a follow. It's at SoHeidi, S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I. Or if you want to see us in your inbox where we will share all these great goodies with you, you can sign up very easily at SoHeidi.com slash email. Again, it's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email. So Instagram or email, we'd love to see you on any one of those platforms. That is where we spend time other than the podcast. All right. So for now, let's jump into the interview. As always, you can access the show notes by scrolling down wherever you you're listening. All right, let's take it away with Ellie. Welcome, Ellie, to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Um, can you please start out by introducing yourself to everyone and letting us know who you are and what you do in fashion? All right. Uh, I am Ellie May. I work for Ellie May. Uh, I'm the creative director of our brand. We have a woman's contemporary brand, and we are based in Toronto. Awesome. So let's go back to the very beginning. Like, how did all of this start um, with, with your brand? Were you in fashion before or what did the beginning of your journey look like? Oh, my gosh. I feel <laughs> like <laughs> sometimes I forget. 
Um, all right. My journey. I feel like my fashion journey, I think without me even knowing, it started when I was younger. Oh. I had parents that allowed me to express myself uh, any way that I wanted to through clothes. And it wasn't like eccentric by any means. It was kind of just things like I love Ninja Turtle pajamas. And <laughs> my mom was like, you wear those wherever you want, grocery Aww. stores, school, wherever. So I never had a bad relationship with clothing. So I think I always I liked it. I liked it as a form of expression. And fast forward a hundred years, what feels like when I was um, 19, I tried the university thing. It wasn't really for me. School's never been. I don't really feel like I've ever connected with school. I've always connected more just by doing. And so I ended up in Los Angeles and I was an assistant to a stylist. I met her in Barney's and (laughs) my mom had bugged her about what's your job? What do you do? My daughter likes styling and she allowed me to go out to LA. My mom still thinks like, what was I thinking? I can't believe you were 19 and I just allowed you to move out there. And there I was driving around not knowing, you know, the 405 or anything like that. And I feel like I really learned my fashion work ethic in LA just because being a stylist, I never really realized that you are the first on set, you are the last to leave. And being an assistant to a stylist, you're doing everything. Um, I learned so much there. I loved it there, but the people... I feel like I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for that shark mentality. I'm not, I'm just not that type of person. I wasn't very good at it. So after my time was up there, I came back home, was heartbroken a little bit by the people. And I just completely switched gears and moved myself into jewelry. It was like a different creative outlet and... I started to make bracelets, necklaces, kind of whatever I could get my hands on. And I did that for a few years. Again, it wasn't overly fulfilling. And then at about 25, I moved myself to England and I went to Central St. Martin's and started taking any kind of course I could there, any short course about fashion, design, drawing, whatever I could learn just to make sure... I wanted to know if I still really loved it. Mm. And I, I stayed there for about two and a half years on and off. And then when I got back to Toronto, I was like, I just got to do it. I have to, I have to do it. I've always wanted to do it. I, I wanted to bring that color and braveness of fashion that I fell in love with in England over to my home city. And that's what we've been doing ever since. (laughs) Okay, so you, your mom, like, literally finagled you a job. You guys were, like, at Barney's, and she just kind of, like, oh, my daughter wants to do this, and you moved down there, and it kind of worked? It was, it was, was that easy? It was the weirdest thing. We, My family and I would always pick a place to go to, and we went to L.A. in the summer, 
and we were in Barney's and this woman named Amy was sitting beside us and my mom started chatting with her and she gave my mom her phone number. Oh my God. And (laughs) then it was August, like a couple months later. And I had realized that school, it wasn't for me. I wanted to do something. I was in my car. I picked up the phone. This is so not the kind of person I am either. And I called her and I just said, do you need any help? Can I help you in any kind of way? And September is when there was a bunch of award shows happening. So she was like, yeah, if you can come down here, that would be great. And literally a week later, I was on a flight and living in LA. (laughs) Okay. And the school you hit, the school university stuff you had dabbled in around that age, were you looking into fashion at that time? Or you were just going to school like, "Um, I'll figure out what I'm going to do. I'm just going to college. So I went to university for my first year, and that was just like general arts. And I thought, wow, this really, really isn't for me. And then I switched to college for the back half of the year to do fashion merchandising. Okay. And I liked it, but I I had a problem, I feel like, with the teachers. Like there wasn't Mm. that, that connection that I wanted or like that love of, fashion or just not even so much fashion just like the love of creativity Mm, okay and I remember the one when I said I'm gonna go I'm gonna go I'm gonna move to LA because I didn't finish the year and I remember her looking at me being like yeah good luck making it over there and I was like oh so it was so I remember the feeling of feeling like a little bit deflated but also like oh I'm going and I'm gonna prove you wrong yeah I'm gonna do this (laughs) oh my god that's amazing Okay, so then you do decide to do school, and you get maybe, and you you said you were kind of like, am I really that excited about this still? And it turns out you were, and you said you came back to Toronto. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yep. To to pursue this um, at around 25, 26-ish? I was about 25, 26 when I moved to England. Okay. And then, so when I got back home, I was about, I think I was... 20, 28, yes, because I'm 31 now. Okay, and so this was, we, yeah, that was my next question. How This was just three years ago. Yeah, this is about three oh. years, and it feels like it's been 20. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you come back to Toronto, and you're like, I'm going to do my own thing. Like, what did that really look like? How did you even start? Oh, my God, okay. Tell me if I'm talking too much as well. Oh, no, this is the point. You're the one you're the one we're we're curious about here. <laughs> I came back to Toronto and I knew I feel like I had kind of gone through a few things in my life where I knew what I was good at and what I wasn't good at. And I knew that pattern making I was not going to be good at. Like mm. math was never a strength of mine. I wasn't going to have the patience for something like that. And I knew that I needed to find someone who could help me with my patterns. So I ended up on LinkedIn and I found this woman in New York who did patterns. Okay. And I, I live in Toronto, but I found her in New York and my sister was getting married and having her bachelorette party in New York city. Mm. So I decided to stay a few extra days and went and met this woman. Again, I think she totally could have been like an axe murderer or something, but <laughs> I 
I left the party and walked all the way up to her office, which was in the fashion district in New York. Yeah. She was the nicest woman. And I worked with her for a handful of months. And she helped me make all of these patterns, like all of the things that were in my head that I kind of wanted to get out. And she made me all these patterns. I found this random fabric place in Toronto. This was like before I knew that there were fabric shows and you could go and buy it wholesale. I was buying it, you know, so overpriced. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. So I bought it all here. Then I would ship all the fabric back (laughs) to New York. And she found me a little manufacturer there, manufactured all my first designs. And my sister had a retail store at the time in Toronto so she took just like a few of my designs and kind of let me, you know, try like try out different price points, yeah. check out what moved, what didn't move, and that's where I started and that was obviously not what do I want to say? Like it wasn't very like economical to be kind of going back and forth to New York and buying this overpriced fabric, but it was kind of, it was working for me. I felt like I was getting my creative juices out. I was seeing if anyone even liked what I had in my brain for all these years. And then I ended up meeting this man, these two men. One of them was a family friend, and then he introduced me to a consultant who, you know, promised me the world, told me he knew the industry inside out. And that's when I moved everything back to Toronto, which sounded great at the time. Uh, He found me like a small team of people that could do the things that I wasn't very good at and that I knew that I wanted to learn, but I knew that I didn't want to do. And long story short, he turned out to be... Uh, a liar and Mm. you know he ended up taking a lot of money and costing me a lot of money and it just it broke my heart it was kind of my first year out of the three that we've been in and he just kind of like pulled the rug right from under me and he he didn't really know what he was doing at all. And because I didn't really know what I was doing at all, I didn't know that I was kind of being taken for a ride. Mm. And it wasn't until I ended up hiring this man for sales who turned out to be kind of like my light at the end of the tunnel. He pulled me aside one day and told me about something that had happened between him and this man and also about how this man was speaking about me. And he said, you know, I know I'm, I don't even have to take this job, but I thought that you should know all of this. Mm. He knew him from past. He knew, he knew him for about like five days. (laughs) He, he went through, he went, yeah, really short. He went through the interview process with him to be, our salesperson because when we started we started in wholesale and 
after he told me that it was one of those gut reactions where I felt like I knew that something was off already. Oh yeah. And so we let that person go and then it just kind of felt like my life turned upside down. What was he what exactly was he doing for you in the company? What was his role exactly? His role, I let's say for a lack of a better word, like a mentor in the way of like here's where you can get your fabric okay. and here are some people that can help you do what you're doing. This is what you should sell your stuff at. You should absolutely go into wholesale. I can okay. get you into here. And I never wanted it to be that grand, like starting out. I just wanted to make a few pieces, kind of walk my way around the city, check in to see if people liked it, what their input was, and then all of a sudden it was way more than what I thought. I, I was managing all these people, which I had never done before, and it turned into like way more than I was 28 at the time than I, I kind of knew what to do with any of it. Yeah, it like happened so fast. It felt like I blinked and all of a sudden I was in this space and there was like six other people around me and I was supposed to, you know, be directing them and directing me, but also being creative at the same time. And yeah. Okay, so can I, can I just pause you for a sec? Because I want to like understand this a little bit better. So you, you found this um, pattern maker in New York after your sister's bachelorette party and you kind of just went to her with like napkin sketches or ideas in your head you did you have much to present or you just I definitely had I had sketches I had just more brain ideas that I had always had I had tears kind of everything that I had ever thought about like okay. creating or that I thought was missing in the market and that's what I presented to her Okay, and so she made the patterns and then helped you find, you know, cut and sew facilities and whatnot, and then you started testing it in your sister's shop. Yes. And then, like, how did you go from there to, like, six people? I want to understand that a little bit more, and and if I can ask, too, like, how are you funding everything? Because I think that's something where, like, you know, startup designers get really stuck is, like, where's all this money coming from to get this (coughs) off the ground? Sure. I totally understand that. I feel like, yeah, I totally skipped and then you, a few. you like, jump to like, oh my God, I have like six people around me and I'm like, ah, what's going on? I'm managing all this other stuff. Like, that's a big step. It was a huge step. It's actually kind of how it felt. Like what you just did, like the, oh, blah, that's what it felt like. <laughs> that it just happened. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. So I was selling this stuff in my sister's store. She had had her retail store for a couple of years. She was looking to revamp it. And that's where this consultant man kind of came from to help her. Okay. And then he ended up helping me as well. (laughs) So that's how I ended up meeting him. I have investors. My investors are... Um, they are my parents. Gotcha. They, um, I feel like it's funny. Sometimes I get nervous or shy about saying that. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to be better at being proud yeah. of that. Yeah. 
because when I think about it, I think, okay, maybe my, I could have like angel investors or people I don't know. And maybe that would make it easier because it's, it almost feels, and I can't say I know that it, what it would feel like to be the other way, but having people that you love as your investors, it, it keeps me up at night. Like it's so, it's hard because you almost want it that much more. Mm, Yeah. You feel different type of pressure. Yeah, it is a different kind of pressure. Uh, <laughs> not one that I was prepared for, but... Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with sleepless nights. I think we all have been there. <laughs> right? I know. My, I feel like I could draw you a picture of my ceiling. But <laughs> it's, 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 I feel like there is a good and a bad in every scenario. And yeah. I think when it gets hard there... They are my people I like to talk to anyways, and they're good advisors. So it's I get a double whammy, so I'm not complaining, but it does. But so they believed in my vision and in my dreams, so they invested in me. And that's how, and they also believed in this consultant. So that's where that started. Okay, gotcha. And, And then it... It almost really was like I I found this space in Toronto that was empty because they were going to tear down the building. So I got to move in for super cheap because they thought they're like, oh, we'll give you six months in here and then we'll tear it down. And I figured six months. okay, let's get in there and I'll see if I even like this again, not knowing I was going to move in there. And then all these people were going to be in there with you, (laughs) with me. But it's funny, we're still in the same place, if you can believe it or not. It didn't get torn down. It didn't get torn down, and now there's 12 of us in there. Wow. So it's it turned out to be a blessing in disguise, that place. Um, there's 12 people on your you and your team. Yes, yes. Wow, you guys are big. We are. It's so funny. Sometimes I'm like, oh, we're so. It, I still feel so small because I, again, I really didn't. I didn't know that it, it takes a village to mm-hmm. to make this thing happen. Yeah. It's um there's a lot of hands. Yeah. For sure. And I think knowing what you're good at, what you're not good at. <laughs> um there's there's twelve of us, twelve of, you know, the best people ever. Yeah. So okay, so the consultant guy kind of comes through your sister's shop, um, and you're working with him. And is he the one that sort of Helped you kind of build up a team real quick to, I think you said about six people that you're like, oh my God, this happened overnight. Yes. And I still have two of them. So oh, good. And I have my days of looking at the bright side of things or trying to find the good and things that were awful. Like I have two people from him and I love them both very much. So I will, I'll give him credit there. <laughs> <laughs> But then the team grew organically from from the people in there. And I I have a best friend whose dad has worked in fashion overseas um, for a long time. And he just so happened to be in Toronto kind of when everything went up in flames. And he 
came into the studio and he just reorganized everything and taught me more about margins and about pricing and mm. better information about fabric and budgets and all of that stuff that I thought that I knew or then I thought that was being taken care of and wasn't mm -hmm. so kind of almost after my first year I feel like we reset and almost started from scratch it felt like and filled the office with different people the um, the man who had come in when the consultant was there who gave me the heads up about him he now is our COO of the business and oh, wow. he runs everything and he's also my significant other so oh, look at that <laughs> I love this yeah it all it it happened so organically and now he is basically my right hand. He runs all of the business and lets me take on all the creative. Yeah. So there's, again, another good thing that came out of him. But that's kind of how our team started to grow after that. It was yeah. being the people that, you know, cared enough. Yeah. Okay, so you... So you grew real fast, got rid of that guy, got rid of a few other people. Where are we at with, um, like, production and selling? And, like, how are you actually distributing the product and getting it out there? Because I know you said you started out in your sister's retail shop. And initially you were focused on wholesale. Like, talk us through a little bit of, about, you know, how the sales distribution got built and you got your name out there and, and started to sell. Oh, all right. I know that th isn't that crazy that we hadn't even gotten to that point, and that was just like that was just people. It's not crazy though, because you're right. This stuff does it takes time, and all these unexpected things happen. I mean, it's, I don't actually see it as that crazy, if if you can believe that. Oh, <laughs> I've heard enough stories. No, that makes me feel so much better. <laughs> um, um, when everything was going up in flames, we had been accepted to. Um, a show, it wasn't Coterie, it was this new show that was a smaller version of Coterie that we got accepted to. Okay. And we had, we had really fortunate press at the beginning. We, in our first season, we had the prime minister's wife in Canada wear one of our jackets. Wow, how did you get that? We ended up with a really great PR, a smaller PR firm in Toronto, wow. and they they knew her, but it was kind of like, here are your options, and like you can take a pick, and she ended up picking our, our jacket, and at the beginning, like our first collection was only jackets. Okay. It, I had decided to go out with just jackets because they were the hardest piece I found and they had the most components and that's kind of what I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn the most complex thing and then end up expanding. So, And this is like a women's blazer. 
women's blazer we had kimonos we had like relaxed fit jackets we had oh. cardigans like anything oh, any type that, of, okay gotcha we had leather it was anything that i could throw on lots of okay understand it was that was essentially i guess my thing i always felt like i never left the house without some form of jacket cardigan whatever and mm-hmm. that's when i thought okay we'll start <laughs> with like what I know, not that it, well, I guess I didn't really know, thought that I knew. <laughs> I mean, do you ever so really we know had, anything? <laughs> I was going to say, even three years in, I'm like, do I know anything now? Yeah, like, I know, right? Oh. <laughs> but I think that's why I like this industry so much, because there is so much to learn. Like, you'll never know everything, no. and I love that. Yeah. Um, so after we had that kind of press. We, we had a showroom in New York that was selling our stuff. So we went to some shows, sold our stuff. We had a showroom that was selling our stuff. So there was kind of lots of feedback coming in from every direction. It felt like, so that's how distribution started. Okay. And we did about four seasons in wholesale, and I just, I didn't love it. Why? I found that it was, I felt like it was really hard on my, like, creative process. I felt like I couldn't figure out what my process was. Because I was thrown into this calendar year and I was designing so far out that Mm -hmm. it didn't feel like we were designing so far out and all of a sudden the world was becoming like see now, buy now. And everyone wanted everything so fast and I didn't really believe that anyone really knew what anyone wanted a year and a half out anymore just because of how fast everything was moving. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you would design and then you'd go to the wholesale market and you'd have all these buyers giving you feedback while you're designing the next collection. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to like put forth this feedback that is coming in, but it's also a little bit deflating at the same time. <laughs> so it's kind of like crushing you, but you're also like, no, but it's great because it's good learnings. And I almost felt like these buyers were like so far from our customers. Like they didn't work the floor. So were they really having these conversations? And we had a small e-commerce site at the time because we were still selling our stuff online and we just started to notice that the things that were on our website like our fun and funky stuff that we really loved was like they were moving but they weren't moving in wholesale Mm. and it was a year ago and I remember looking at Jeremy who's our COO and Andrea who works design with me and I just said like I don't want to I don't want to do this anymore I don't I don't want to pay for a showroom 
in New York. I don't want to talk to all these buyers anymore. <laughs> I just, I feel like, I feel like our customer, we have a customer and they love our stuff and I just want to talk to them. Yeah. And I don't want to design like two years out. I ended up always hating the stuff by the time yeah. it actually came out. Yeah. Uh, and it just, I was like, this isn't how I want to feel <laughs> while, while doing this. Like, I don't want to do it if this is what it's going to be like. Yeah. And after that, we, we kind of delivered our stuff to stores for the last time this September that just passed. And we switched direct to consumer. Okay, so that would have been September 2018. Yeah. Um, but we had, like, switched in-house to direct-to-consumer in March, April. Like, after the wholesale season, we had decided, like, we weren't going to go back, but the stuff that... You still had to deliver. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right, right, you had pending orders. Yes. So where were you doing all your production at this point? So at this point, back, like, a year ago, we were okay. manufacturing in places in Toronto, like, two factories just up the street, and they were... They were awesome, but hard because they always want such large numbers. Oh. And when we switched direct to consumer, we decided to, we, we pulled all of our manufacturing in-house. So our team is 12 people because we make everything wow. that we produce yeah, in our studio in Toronto. Wow. Yeah. You like bought the machines and got set up and everything? We did, yeah. We always had Maria and Ivy. At the beginning, they were our our sewers. And then Maria retired, and now we have Sandy. But they were always there making samples, fixing anything after the fittings. They were, well, they were amazing. But we decided after we switched direct to consumer and after chatting with them that we wanted to pull our production in house. They just, they do it better than anyone else. They, that's so cool. They understand our quality. They understand the types of fabrics that we work with and you know, our, what we as a brand are all about. So we pulled everything in house. The only thing we don't make in house are our knits and they're made in Peru. Okay. Just it, okay. We did it in Peru because I feel like they are just, they are so good at yeah. the full fashion knits. I've done production out of Peru. They are really good. Right? They're yeah, so they good. Really good. So, and I, we are, we're big believers in letting like the best people do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. So not trying to reinvent the wheel by any means, but I believe that Ivy and Sandy are the best at what they do. So they've been doing our production for our, our other items other than our knits. And so they, they cut, make, trim, pack, and then it gets distributed. So we have, you can, oh, you're going to have to remember all these names. We have Lynette, who is our pattern maker and she's our freelance pattern maker. So she comes in, she comes out, she's, fantastic she does our patterns then we have alvin who does our cutting okay he comes in about two three times a week and then we have ivy and sandy who sew everything up 
And then we have Susie, who is our production manager, and Sam, and they do all the packing of everything. And Susie makes sure that production goes as smooth as possible because that's a beast. Yeah, it is. That's so cool. Oh my god, you're gonna have to share some pictures. Oh, for sure. The post because I love. You don't hear this story very often. I've interviewed a lot of of fashion brands, and you don't. This is a very uncommon story, but I love it so much. Um, So please take us a little bit behind the scenes, um, and I'll put those up with the with the recording. Um, Of course. so what is your guys's for the stuff that you do in house? What is your timeline look like from the time? Let's say you first wake up in the middle of the night or staring at your ceiling, had this amazing idea to when it might actually be on the website ready to purchase. So we kind of have created our own calendar now. Um, so we just finished our fall 19 collection. Okay. You finished, so, which is uh, so the production. We finished the design and we shot our campaign early this month. Okay, so we're June 2019. Just because this is going to air at a later date, so I want to give some reference. So it's June cool. 2019. So you just finished fall 2019. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Which is it's funny to think about it. It's so crazy it's, from what yeah, we so were close. used to. It's a couple. It's like two months away. Right. Yeah. So we design like well do out the merchandising plan, and then the first two deliveries, like when we know what fabric is going in there, those are the ones that we design first. Mm -hmm. So production on those have already started. Does that make sense? Yes. So that started, and now we're getting into delivery three and four of production, and we will launch our first Fall 19 delivery in mid-August. Okay, so that was the next thing I was going to ask. So you are still doing like seasons, but you're doing multiple drops within each season. So can you talk us through sort of how your calendar works now that you're doing direct-to-consumer and you've got this quick turn because you have an in-house team? Like, what does that look like? So fall is done now. We have, we go to Premier Vision that, that twice a year, which is a fashion textile show where mills from all over the place come. So we go there in September for fall, and in February we go for spring. So February 19, we went for spring 20. So we follow that calendar still. And we... your fabric a year in advance. Yes. So we've ordered all of our fabric. It's all in our studio now. Okay. So it's all ready. We know the inspiration of it. We have all of our bodies for it. And now that fall is wrapped up, production isn't, but design and everything is complete. We now, the design team, move into spring 20 in summer 19. Okay. And then as far as like when it's available to purchase, because you said there's multiple, I call them drops. I think you call them something else. Um, uh, So you said the first one will be available, the first fall delivery will be available in August. August. So we have August drop one, September drop two, October drop three, November our holiday Mm -hmm. collection drop four is November. Okay. 
And then <laughs> spring comes around, and what do you do, like March, April? Yeah, so, oh, my God, I'm sorry to confuse you. So we also, part of our direct-to-consumer business, we have a small vintage collection where we go on hunts for vintage t-shirts, vintage sweaters, like yeah, one I of a that on your kind. Site. Yeah, those are all real vintage pieces. Yeah. So okay. those will do like a new drop of those in February. Okay. And then we get into spring drop one March, spring drop two April, May, June. Okay. April, March, April, May, June. So you have new stuff dropping nine out of 12 months of the year. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of where the picture I wanted to paint because it's like, you know, the consumer, like you said, they're like, see now, buy now. They constantly want something new. You know, the, the old traditional model, you might have, you know, two collections a year, spring and fall, but that's only two things. And then they get outdated and they go on sale so quickly. But you guys, because of your model, you are constantly able to introduce new stuff. I mean, nine out of 12 months is phenomenal. Yeah. And they're not overwhelming drops. Okay. There's maybe maybe nine pieces, maybe 12 in each of the drops, but, and that doesn't even include colorways. Sometimes there's more. If there's a, a sweater, maybe that's in black or white or something, okay. but we do drop something nine out of the 12 months. And if it were to be more than that, it would be a vintage drop, okay, gotcha. which, which the vintage has been so helpful in months like that, that like January is such a dry month in fashion. Yeah. And it just felt like, it just felt like we were producing so much waste, which was a big reason why we did want to take everything in house. Like we didn't want to order 300 meters of fabric anymore and have all of this inventory sit in the back of our studio. So we started ordering less. We started making smaller quantities and when you purchase anything on our website, it'll say we made 30 of these. And then when you get your item, there's a number oh. stitched in there. So you'll know if you got two out of 30 oh, or cool. five out of eight, however many we made of something. So we just wanted to, because switching to direct-to-consumer made us feel like a brand new brand, we wanted to start off with smaller quantities and then each season we can buy a little bit more fabric knowing that we have more people to sell to we know that this body will move more and then any fabric that we have left over we sew into garment bags we sew into scrunchies or we sew into dog collars and dog leashes so we try to repurpose everything that we have we're just trying to have less waste yeah I love that that's amazing um so you're slowly kind of figuring out like what is the market demand for certain styles and pieces and you start out really small and there's like a limited sort of special scarcity to it you know I got three out of eight feels really cool from a customer's perspective and then maybe if it does really well you can introduce 30 next time Exactly. Yeah. Like, for example, for spring, we made this oversized corduroy, we call it a shacket. It was like a shirt jacket. (laughs) And we ended up finding this 
awesome corduroy at Mood Fabrics in Los Angeles when we were there. And the whales were really big. I loved it. It was a, like a statement kind of fabric, mm-hmm. but they didn't have a lot of it, but I wanted to try it. So I brought it home with me. We made, I think, 12 in each colorway, 8 to 12, and then they sold through, which was great, good to know. And then I went to one of our mills that we work with in England. They had a great corduroy, so we were able to buy that much more, and now Mm. we've put it into our fall 19 collection. I love it. So, like, really small testing and then moving on the things that actually work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, go ahead. No, sorry. I was just gonna, I being direct to consumer, we also just opened up one of our, a first retail store. We did a pop up. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to be able to give you a little bit more background about how we've been able to know kind of what's moving, what's not moving, learning more about our customer being direct to consumer. Being direct to consumer, I feel like that's like that's your golden egg is to know like who's buying your stuff, what do they like, what don't they like, yeah. and Toronto just opened up this market made out of all shipping containers. Oh, so cool. yeah. it's so cool. It was something that I felt like our city really needed, and they were curating it with a bunch of different startups. There's coffee shops, flower shops, all different kinds of things. It's like a nice little community in there so we had the opportunity to pop up in there so we're there until the end of the summer but it's been just great feedback and lots of knowledge that we can put towards our future collections so that's been really helpful when becoming like a direct-to-consumer brand yeah so I have another question on that. Um, so you said, you know, you got some really good press to start, which helped kick things off. But what are some other ways that you've been able to build the direct-to-consumer sales? Because it's not as simple as just like, I'm going to put up a Shopify website and everybody's going to come buy my thing. Um, how have you been able to really grow the business in that way? For sure, yeah. I really wish it was that simple. Like, putting <laughs> up a website and, like, everybody knew. Um we we have PR that we we use in New York and in LA. Okay. Um, our LA one ha- has been awesome at celebrity seating, ah, so yeah. that always helps. I find just when people see someone wearing something, but we did do some digital marketing and we did some advertising and everything but I felt like it was kind of like throwing spaghetti on a wall and like seeing what (laughs) what stayed it wasn't I didn't feel like we were learning much about our customer because there's just so many people on the internet Mm -hmm. so we pulled back from all that because it's just it was so expensive and Right now, we are working with kind of grassroots, old school kind of marketing and PR, it feels like. We'll do a lot of word of mouth. We have events. We had had an event in New York where we'll meet editors and we'll meet influencers or people of influence 
feel like there's a difference nowadays. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, grassroots, it kind of feels like is what we're working with right now, just so that we can, you know, get to know who our people are before kind of like going out there and paying for all of this digital advertising. Yeah. It's definitely slower, but the way that we are as a brand and the people that we are in there, we're just, I'm not looking to pay a bunch of people to wear our stuff. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just feel like it's a very saturated world right now. And I think that people can tell the difference if people are wearing it because they actually like it and people that are wearing it because you've paid them to. So our girls in LA that do our PR have a showroom there that houses all of our stuff and we work with stylists and they come in, they pull for their client. We cross our fingers. Mm -hmm. If the client likes it and they get photographed in it, it's awesome. And we've been super fortunate where we've had some really nice people wear our stuff and that helps. And then, it, you know, it gets in a magazine, it gets online. We've had some really nice blurbs written up about our stuff. And I think people still like to read. <laughs> so <laughs> little hits like that, like they make such a difference. And then they lead you to the website. Yeah. And we still do email marketing. We don't do a lot of it just because again, we all talk about our personal experience with email marketing and how everyone's just so bombarded with everything. So we try to make it, we're just trying to make it more personalized. And I think that's been the benefit for sure of having the pop-up. Yeah, that's amazing. Are you guys, um, it sounds like that's going pretty well, something you might look to explore more in the future. Definitely. I think our, um, our biggest customer is our LA customer. That's who buys our stuff the most online. Okay. So after our Toronto pop-up shop wraps up, we're looking to pop up in LA gotcha. in, in the fall. So yeah, which is all the data you get from doing the direct to consumer. Exactly. You know this stuff. I know, right. It's, it's such a, it's such a neat concept. I feel like you really get to know the people that are liking your stuff and like you said, where they are and what they do. And so we're looking to go there in the fall and yeah. kind of get to know them in person. I love that. And it's such a contrast to like, not that, you know, this, this business model works for some people, but it, it, it sounds like it just didn't for you. But like, you know, doing the wholesale trade show and talking to the buyer who, like you said, is often fairly removed from the end consumer. So yeah, it's, it's hard. It is. It is hard. And you know, when my sister had a retail store and her store, she just had one of them. And these people who have department stores or an intermix or an anthropology and there's so many storefronts like that that buyer is not in all of those stores so no. it's impossible for them to know personally like what's moving and what's not right and there's absolutely nothing wrong with the wholesale model like it's i it works for so many people it has worked for yeah. so many people it yeah. just it wasn't working for us yeah 
Well, I love that you were able to pivot and find the channel that worked. And I mean, you learned loads along the way. <laughs> yeah, loads. I feel like I dumped a lot of personal stuff on you and no, I apologize. It was no. like a therapy session. <laughs> uh, oh, I love that. But like, this is, you know, one of the things I, I kind of I really focus on in the podcast is like hearing the nitty gritty of what's going on. Like we don't want to just hear this fluffy story of this amazing fashion brand that you started. Like, yes, you, you are working on that and it's, it's phenomenal that you've gotten to where you are, but like there's so many little things behind the scenes that go on the good, the bad, the ugly, the shitty. And like, that's where I really want to help educate and talk about those things for other people to hear. So, so they can learn from your lessons. I love that. Yeah. I we always promised ourselves that we'd never over glorify this mm-hmm. industry. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people think it's glamorous and I never wanted to do that. Like it's it's broken my heart more times, <laughs> you know, than I can count, but I still love it. But I'm I'm not in it for the the fluffiness of, yeah. of it, you know? Like it's Having your own business and going after any kind of dream, it's so hard. And I would much rather talk about that than, <laughs> than the successes. Like, although those are fun, like, I think that it's important that people just know that it's hard work and there will be a million ups and downs and you'll cry a lot. And <laughs> a good support system and a good team of people are so important. And I wish that I knew that going into it, but I know that now. And like, I, that's the kind of stuff I would prefer to share. Yeah. Sometimes I have to be honest, those lessons are hard to learn from someone else. You almost have to trip over your own feet to like really have it cemented. You're absolutely right. I think because you never think it will be you, right? Right. You're like, like, Oh yeah, figured out. I'm different. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, that's too bad that happened to you, but that's not me. (laughs) And then it is (laughs) until it is. Yeah, exactly. I have a really, really random question, but, um, your pricing is so obscure. It's like $108 and 37 cents, like, um, $220 and 47 cents. Is there an concept or idea or reason behind that (laughs) I wish that there was I feel like I wish I had Jeremy on this call because I feel like he would totally give you an answer for that our pricing I feel like it is a little bit upskirted like you said all over the place because everything is made in-house and fabric just varies like crazy price points and everything and we just try to give the most fair price point and however which way that falls if that makes the penny literally yeah like down (laughs) to the penny yeah it's like (laughs) 108.37 you could just argue okay I could just price it like 109 um but we just keep you on your toes Heidi we just (laughs) (laughs) it's always a surprise Yeah. Well, it's kind of fun to see. You'd never really see that. I mean, I've seen it a handful of times, but most of the times you don't see that. So I was just curious um, if there was a a cool story behind that. And I guess there is. It's that you you translate the price and it is what it is. Don't charge me 63 more cents if you don't have to. I was, I was like, that's a button maybe, right? And if there isn't 10 buttons and there's only nine, like that's yeah. what the price is going to be. It just, it's down to the, the nitty gritties. That was, you know, another big reason why we did want to go 
direct to consumer, like because we do work with such like luxurious fabrics mm-hmm. that can end up being so expensive mm-hmm. in retail. And this way we don't have to, to double it. Right. Cause what a lot of people don't realize is by the time you get to retail, the, the cost to make the goods versus the, the retail cost is at least four times. It's crazy. At least. It's, yeah. Yeah. And and I never wanted to give up our fabric. Like yeah, I, the quality. I yeah. love. Yeah, I love the quality. So yeah. I never wanted to give that up. That's amazing. Um, well, I would love to end the show with the question I ask everybody at the end of the interview, and that is, what is one thing people never ask you about working in the fashion industry that you wish they would? Oh wow! What a good question. I don't, you know, what's funny is I feel like you have asked me a lot of the questions that people don't. <laughs> That's good. You know, I, I feel like I don't even know how to like phrase it as a question. I almost want people to ask one more about the people that make the stuff. There's so many people behind the scenes of a brand and I wish that more people asked about them. Yeah. You know what? I love that you say that. And I'll actually point out to you that I think you're one of the first, if not the first people on the show to ever like just refer to your staff by their first name. Like you, you made it feel so personal. And I love that. It, you know, it is so personal. Like I, I spend more of my life with them than anyone else. And I have a group of people who like believed in a dream that I had that now we all have. Like it's, they mean a lot to me. And just without them, Ellie Mae wouldn't be Ellie Mae. So I wish that, and I love talking about them. So I wish that more people would, you know, want to know how things are cut or who's your pattern maker and who sews it and who does your marketing, like all that kind of stuff. Right. Cause it's not me. It's, I don't do it all. (laughs) (laughs) It's impossible to do it all. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. That was a great answer. Um, where can everybody find you online and check out all the cool stuff you're doing, Ellie? We have our website. It's elliemaystudios.com. And our Instagram handle is at elliemaystudios. Awesome. So give us a follow or come check us out. Yeah, we will link to all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much. This was lovely to chat with you and hear about your amazing story. Thank you so much. I'm sorry if I overshared. You didn't. There's no such thing as oversharing on this show. We love all the all the dirty, gross details that really happen. All right. Well, I think I provided you with a lot. So <laughs> it was great. really nice chatting with you. You're such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Ellie, for the awesome interview. And thank you so much to my husband, Mark, who handles all the tech and editing and makes the show possible, as well as Tara, who makes sure that the show goes live on Mondays and gets them to you. So thank you, everybody, for the support behind the scenes. I definitely could not do this alone as well. Thank you again for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. As a quick reminder, SFD is way more than just a podcast. You can check us out on Instagram at SoHeidi, S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I or hop on over to soheidi.com slash email to get on the email list to find out about all the other things that we have going on. As always, if you want to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes wherever you're listening by scrolling down. Thanks so much, and I'll talk to you in the next successful Fashion Designer Podcast episode.